Hello, everybody, and happy Christmas. You probably know that this is the podcast where sometimes we talk about horror, sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we swear. In a minute, you will be listening to a discussion of the movie Doctor Sleep, also touching on the movie The Shining, uh, between Ian Winterton, Kirsty Warrow, and myself. I'm T.D. Velasquez, but as always, you can call me Dan. Now, this is our sort of Christmas episode. It hasn't actually gone to plan. We were going to include a nice Christmassy catch-up chat with our friend and frequent co-host, Dr. Stella Gaynor. Um, unfortunately, Stella was too busy to be involved in the main discussion. And also, unfortunately, that part of the recording has been hopefully temporarily lost in the nether sphere that is the Zoom cloud recording service. So... Once we retrieve that, I'll hopefully put it out um, as a podcast, hopefully quite soon. But for tonight, you'll just have the main discussion. Sorry about that, Stella. We love you, and we know that you're having a busy Christmas period. So all the best with it, and good luck. Also, I'd like to say to everybody, greetings from COVID world. Um, I don't know about you, but I've got covid my mum's got COVID. Uh, we're isolating over the Christmas period and not allowed to see anyone. Um, I don't know if you're maybe feeling the same way or in the same situation. I feel particularly lucky that I have my mum to keep me company here because it would be pretty dismal otherwise. I hope that you have been lucky and if you are on your own, this Christmas time but you're listening to this podcast I hope that is somehow a help to you I would say um, God bless the vaccine my mum and I are both um, fully jabbed and boosted and everything and our only symptoms are tiredness and crankiness so I would suggest that indicates at least in my corner of the world that things have moved on uh, for the much better over the last year or so. But nobody wanted a Christmas like this, I'm sure. And uh, my thoughts are with you all. The other thing I want to say before we get into the main discussion is that we normally end an episode with the recommendations that we have for available horror entertainment at the moment. Unfortunately, this time, we just forgot to record that bit. So, um... We won't have any of those that you'll hear in the episode, but if you go to our website and now podcast.com and look at the show notes or you see the uh, the details in your own podcast player, then uh, I'll put some recommendations on there um, and links to the films that we discuss in the episode. All right, everybody. Well, best wishes for this Christmas and you'll hear from us in the new year. Enjoy the episode, and here's the theme tune.
now the podcast starts. So, dear listener, welcome back. Stella's left us now, God bless her, and we're here to discuss uh, between the three of us, myself, uh, Ian and Kirsty, the movie Doctor Sleep from 2019. And, of course, uh, I think we'll touch on the film that it is a sequel to 1980's The Shining um, and probably a few other things as well. Um, Ian and I had not seen Doctor Sleep uh, prior to this, um, Kirsty, I think you'd seen it before. Have you watched yep. it again for the recording? Yes. Well, mostly. <laughs> right. But it is quite a long film. Um, it, it exists in two versions, both of which are very long. The, the theatrical version is two and a half hours. And the version I watched was the director's cut, which is three hours. Yeah, uh, I watched that version, as well. Which I tried to watch um, and right. then didn't get all the way through. So Okay. <laughs> So the the version you'd previously seen was that the director's cut or the theatrical no, one? The, uh, theatrical cut. Okay, so um, are you able to kind of mention things that that stood out to you as different in the two cuts, or did it was it not anything not, major? I, there were moments that I thought in the director's cut that I watched this week that felt a bit baggy, and I did wonder. Right. Oh, and certainly there were moments that didn't stick out in my head from watching the the theatrical cut so to be honest i'm not i'm not sure <laughs> not okay sure. no fair enough um i watched the first 10 minutes of both versions yeah um and uh one major difference is that the theat- director's cut has the chapter into titles which the theatrical one doesn't right um so oh, that's part- interesting because uh I, I that was one thing i really liked right the pace of it and the, and the chapter titles and then it's just like bits and pieces. Well, it's in the in the opening, the only difference is you know the the first scene where you see young Danny, um, and he uh, he sees the, the 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 ghost from room two three seven of the Overlook, yeah. um, the old lady in the bath. In the theatrical cut, you can just see her behind the curtain as a sp- scary shadow. But in the uh, extended version, she steps out from behind the curtain. So. So I, I suspect it's lots of things like that. It's just kind yeah. of moments within scenes that make them longer. Um, we should probably do a little bit of an introduction to the film, though, um, in case uh, people have not seen it or don't don't know anything about it. So um, I just, I'm sure we have all have different reasons to be attracted to wanting to watch it. I suspect, Kirsty, the reason that you might have wanted to watch it was that it's written and directed by Mike Flanagan. Um Doing his uh, uh, his uh, kind of patented "I'm the best Stephen King adapter in the room" thing that he's now been doing for a few years. Um, so he's, you know, we talked about his work quite a lot on this podcast, "The Haunting of Hill House." We talked about, um, and uh, recently, not on the podcast, but in uh, real life, you were recommending to me Midnight Mass, which yeah. is currently on Netflix, and I haven't been able to watch that yet. But uh, yeah, he's that is a, brilliant. Do you think it's brilliant as well, Ian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, I loved it. To be yeah. honest, right. I liked it more than. I guess I. I liked Hill House a lot. Yeah. I didn't quite think Hill House stuck the landing, and I think Midnight Mass. I liked every episode and then I wasn't disappointed at the end, which I'm beginning to think from Mike Flanagan joint is, uh, is it makes it quite unique. <laughs> but, uh, <That's... laughs> 
So we have a, a real compliments <laughs> and, and backhanded compliments there. There yes. we go. Um, so yes. uh, when this movie came out, I was quite interested in seeing it, but didn't end up being able to. But I did see the brief re-release of The Shining in cinemas that happened just before it instead. Uh, Kirsty, did you see it at the cinema? No, I didn't. Um, this is very much a pandemic kind of watch for me. All uh, right. So I think I'd watch, I don't think I'd, it's funny you sort of said, you know, because I'm interested in it because of Mark Flanagan. I wasn't, to be honest, uh, you know, as you know, as you know, listeners might remember, I didn't watch Hell House when it first hit Netflix. Um, I only watched it because we were going to do an episode. Um, and I didn't, it wasn't, I knew about Mike Flanagan. I knew he was a kind of presence in horror, but not one that I sort of, you know, kind of paid much attention to. Um, so I think I watched Dr. Steep having watched Hill House um, and becoming, you know, having become much more aware of him, which is, I think, was was the primary draw. It's not, I, don't, I mean, I'm going to say something quite sacrilegious. <laughs> Like The Shining never, like, you know, it was never my film. It was, you know, people talk about, oh, you know, The Shining, it scared the shit out of me. And I just, I never kind of found that in it. Um, so I wasn't necessarily kind of just drawn to it because it was, you know, sequel to The Shining either. Mm. Um, it was much more because, you know, it's like from the trailers, it seemed like an interesting kind of development of the story. And, you know, by that point, I was kind of more impressed by the idea that it was a Mike Flanagan joint, if you like. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why. So I watched it, I think, when it came on to um, Sky Movies last year, which I think it was sort of, yeah, kind of le- late, late spring, early summer, I think. Okay. Yeah. So not, um, I didn't see it at all when it came out. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it, it has this weird thing that it's the sequel to The Shining and it was marketed as such, but also it's a very different film. And, um, you know, it may or may not appeal uh, as a sequel. Um, it, it, its appeal may lie elsewhere. Um, obviously, The Shining is an iconic movie. You know, Stanley Kubrick's 1980 adaptation of Stephen King's book, which I think it was was published in 77. Um, I'm not too sure about that. So, you know. Please correct me if anybody knows. Um, and I, I think everybody has an opinion on it. I suspect everybody listening to this will have seen it. I don't think it's it, it's one of those really important movies. Um, Are we going uh, to do a spoiler warning? <laughs> well, I don't think we need to do a spoiler definitely. warning for The Shining, but I think we should avoid spoilers for Doctor Sleep for a little while. Yeah. But, I, yeah, just, yeah. but I, I think it's important for us to set out our relationship, each of our relationships to The Shining, before yeah, we talk yeah. about Doctor Sleep. So, um, I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily find it the most frightening film I've made. I think it's a very interesting film. Um, Ian, I think you love it a bit, so maybe you should talk about The Shining for a moment. Well, again, I do like it a lot, but a bit like Kirsty was saying, I, I'm, uh, I think I like it more. I, I, I do genuinely find it really scary. Um, it does something... It's what I'm always. It's one of the things I'm always chasing. Is that feeling when you when you when a film follows you around for for sort of hours, if not days afterwards. So when you go upstairs to or when you go to the toilet or when you get up in the middle of the night, suddenly you feel like you're being followed. That to me is just a sign of a good scary movie. And The Shining did that. The Exorcist did that. The Witch was a recent example that did that to me. 
um, they they tend to be the films that I want to go back and watch. Um, and the Shining, the Shining, I do, you know, I do think it's a masterpiece. Um, what I'm down on is I'm quite quite down on Kubrick <laughs> as a director in general. Oh, okay. Um, lots of, and I do like lots of his films, but I also think. Um, I mean, we'll come on to Stephen King's attitude to the Shining film, but one thing King's criticism of Kubrick sort of chimes with me that he he thinks too much and feels too little, and I often think that's spot on for Kubrick. There, you know, yeah. that I like move. I'm I am a bit more of a Spielbergy kind of person, I guess, and I like I like emotion in things. Sure, and I, but I, and I love The Shining because I think it, do, you know, the emotion it has is, is terror if nothing else, mm. um, and it's got all the genius things that Kubrick does. Like, you know, there's not, there's not a single thing wrong with a single frame of that movie. Um, it's absolutely apart from the opening shot. <laughs> I've always said this. I think they, when I first watched The Shining when I was a teenager, it's got that amazing opening shot swooping over the lake and coming mm. close to the car driving along uh, and I, th- I think they've corrected this now in the versions that have recently been released they've digitally airbrushed it out but like the first thing you see in the entire film is as the camera swoops towards the mountainside you see the shadow of the helicopter that's filming oh, right. it's yeah. like no no <laughs> admittedly <laughs> it's an amazing shot and you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I must, they couldn't yeah. do much about it. No, no. They shot enough of it, though. Didn't they lend loan half of that to Blade Runner? Um, well, that's for, true. Yeah. For the, uh, they, they just shot hours and hours of it. <laughs> and they managed to stick the bit with the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. But, um, so but yeah. No, no, but I, I, I would say it's, I mean, I'd say yeah, I wouldn't want every movie to be like The Shining. Um, but I think. I can handle the shining being, you know, being this cold, perfect because it is cold. It's cold in so many different ways. It's emotionally quite cold, <laughs> mm. um, apart from the screaming. Um, and it's quite an unforgiving movie. Um, but yeah, so it's not, it's not, it's never my, it's never the first, if someone says, what's your favorite scary movie? I never say the shining because mm. I love the exorcist. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, and that to me is almost the opposite of The Shining in lots of ways, in because that is all emotion and all good versus evil. And yeah. The Shining, The Shining, The Shining's it's clinical, isn't it? Like a lot of Kubrick's movies, it's, it's you know it's admirable rather than enjoyable. Yeah, it's but all Shining, designed. The Shining, it? I would say, like two thousand and one, gets above the just being admirable, not enjoyable, and is really enjoyable. Mm. Um, but he, for me, he doesn't often get there, you know, okay. apart from Spartacus, which I fucking love Spartacus. Well, I, <laughs> I, I've still seen a distressingly small amount of Kubrick films, so I can't comment on, on, on all of them. I've never seen Spartacus. Um, Kirsty, what do you think of The Shining then? Um, similar to Ian, really. I, I mean, I think as a, a you know, horror fan, it, it left me <laughs> cold. Um, in terms of- <laughs> the actual kind of um, horror, being scared of it. But I, you know, I think it's a, a fantastically executed film. I think it's really intriguing. I, um, you know, I kind of, I love 
the you know kind of the realization that you know kind of often happens kind of after you've watched or several watches about the kind of you know how well constructed it, it, it is you know in this kind of the you know the hotel is a kind of labyrinthine space and how you know, the spaces don't you know um make sense kind of in reality yeah um, there's like you know kind of famous you know kind of tracking shot of Danny on the little trike thing which can't make you know can't make sense I love the kind of the sort of low level uncanniness that you know the film kind of has kind of constantly in the background like you know them watching the tv and the tv's not plugged in and you know all of that kind of stuff I really really enjoy um it's kind of like house of leaves isn't it yeah yeah yeah. absolutely absolutely and I and um yeah and it's you know it is a tremendous film it's just not and it has so much about it that's iconic. I don't feel the need to kind of come back to it very often mm. because, you know, it's, it's you know, like so much of kind of iconic horror. <laughs> I think that if you're just kind of in, imbued, in, not imbued, if you kind of exist within cinema culture, cinema fandom, that you don't need to because it's just sort of this, you know, kind of ever-present thing, really. Um, and if, if, if I may sort of segue into the discussion of Doctor Sleep. Sure. Um, that there's just this kind of way that the film, you know, even from its outset, kind of very squarely says, this is a continuation of Kubrick's vision in many ways. Mm. Because of, you know, the kind of matching of the, you know, of the, the, the you know, set design and the camera work and the casting so that they, you know, kind of, the casting kind of calls back to, you know, the original casting of the film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, I kind of, there's a, I'm not sure which, which essayist talks about it. There's a, there's an essay, video essay on YouTube about, um, I'm going to say nerd writer, but I'm not sure if it is, um, weaponized intertextuality. Right. that you know kind of that, that quite a lot of what you know kind of contemporary cinema does particularly in a kind of postmodern way is kind of deliberately kind of rely on our associations with other products um so that you know kind of we're taking all of the you know the kind of pleasures and the feelings associated with that thing and now transferring it to this other thing um which i think is you know very clearly what happens in dr sleep right <laughs> That because we have just the callback to all these kind of key moments and you know yeah so I'm not yeah. sure you know that the film is so I didn't want to get into big pronounced judgments already but I'm not sure the film is necessarily as strong as strong on its own um but as a sort of companion piece to this already iconic you know film then I think it it, it works very well and as a <laughs> You know, somebody interested in film and kind of interested in the original film, I found it interesting from that perspective. <clears throat> Can I just ask, or, uh, yeah. of all three of us, have any of us read the book The Shining or the book Doctor Sleep? Not uh, Doctor Sleep. I read The Shining many, okay. many years ago. Yeah, I think I read The Shining many, many years ago when I was just re- <laughs> solidly reading Stephen King. Right. <laughs> I. I haven't read The Shining or indeed any of King's novels. I've read some of his short stories, but I I did see the uh, 90s TV miniseries of The Shining, so I know the kind of plot differences. And uh, um, yeah. all I'll say about The Shining, I kind of echo what, what both of you said, but um, in terms of it being cold, um, it's a lot warmer, let's say, than, the, than that miniseries is. 
that that miniseries which tries to be kind of true to the characterizations and and things you, you feel a lot less than you do just from watching you know Shelley Duvall crying um mm. so and, and and I think that the, the art of, of that movie well there's a lot of art a great deal of it is in her performance actually mm. I was um, going to well I've got Shelley Duvall written down as a big note in the in the of all the things Dr. Sleep really fails on, mm. Danny's mum. Nothing against that actress, but no. she's she's nothing compared to Shelley Duval. Oh, interesting. That's a- like Shelley Shelley Duval's amazing. She's like if you take Shelley Duval out of The Shining, and I just don't think the Dr. Sleep mum is she doesn't do anything. She doesn't seem like Shelley Duval at all. Uh, I I mean, she's, she's probably a perfect. She's a perfectly fine actress. I'm just saying, in terms of, terms of th- her, this, this, the way she comes across and the way she's written. Well, she's, she's only in flashbacks, isn't she? Um, I was totally impressed with her. Actually, the actress is called Alex Esso, and she's basically doing an impression of Shelley Duvall. Um, and and I thought she did that wonderfully well. Um, I, I would disagree. I, I mean, I mean, I, I, I think she, she, Shelley, Shelley Duvall, maybe it's just because Shelley Duvall is so is so unique mm. that of all. It, I mean, it's. Just, I mean, we'll come on to. I guess we got to at some point. Come on to. Are we are we in the spoilers section yet? Well, before we, we go to, to spoilers, spoilers let's let's just all say if we recommend the film. Um, I think Cody's already said that if if you know and like The Shining, it's a recommendation. Yeah, I think if you don't know The Shining, then you're going to be pretty lost, I think. I'm not sure it works as a standalone. I mean, okay. I, would, I, would almost, I would almost say the opposite. Yeah, I, 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 it doesn't work as a standalone. At the same time, it's probably less offensive, if you don't know <laughs> to me, <laughs> less offensive as a piece of, as a, piece of as a movie, if oh, you don't know the original. Um, um, so, I, so you just, you could pick up that, the plot works and this is the tone and the tone is nothing like the bloody shining yeah it's well, my main problem it's kind of spoiler territory i think that you know certainly yeah that if if what essentially is the kind of again it's a very long film isn't it the, the kind of essentially what is kind of the end of act one and act two that that works that has the potential to work very kind of clearly by itself i think but taking it where physically the film takes it in act three mm. that's something that can only have relevance and only have the dramatic weight if you see it as part you know kind of part of as a as equal as a continuation. yeah yeah i mean yeah there is, there is that but you could you could view the whole thing and and you know and the and the backstory is the backstory is is all clear you could watch dr sleep yeah. I, I'd, ra- I'd rather live in a world where you don't watch Doctor Sleep and you do watch The Shining. <laughs> right. But if you if you were if you were to if you were to find yourself, you know, like I bet lots of people never watched The Shining and watched Doctor Sleep, and and then would have been weirded out when they actually did watch The Shining, because mm-hmm. um, it's a totally different film, tonally so different. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's we, kind of, that kind of recognised intertextuality. Is that kind of sort of sense that the film. You know, it, they clearly at, at some point made the choice to to kind of go after that same vision that Kubrick had, so that it plays as 
a direct sequel rather than uh, an adaptation mm. of <clears throat> the sequel to The Shining, you know, and to kind of, you know, establish those things on its own terms. It doesn't. And so, you know, I kind of think that, the, you know, the a lot of the intended value in the film is, you know, that it sits alongside The Shining in the way that the, you know, the viewers meant to consume it. Yeah. meant to understand it because again it's you know again i don't want to go in again spoiler territory but we were talking about casting before there's the other the other casting mm. that you know is so significant in terms of how that character is meant to be read and meant to be interpreted mm. as who he is and who he is as an actor yeah. you know kind of playing the ver you know a version or the same character in the same way mm. Yeah, it's very difficult to talk about that going to spoilers. So let's go it really, it re I mean, it really is, really, because all the things we talk about would be, would be, yeah, we'd, we'd go back to the movie, The Shining, and we'd talk about, yeah, the, how, how they seem on one level and how they seem in comparison as yeah. a sequel. Yeah. I think the main problem with it is, is they set themselves sort of impossible square to circle, if that's the or circle yeah. to square, in that they were trying to be a sequel to a film while pleasing Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please yeah. Stephen King. They're yeah, trying yeah. to make a sequel to a film he hated. Yes. <laughs> he and was really odd. And didn't Stephen King say that he really liked Doctor Sleep, the film? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So just it. A really odd thing to try and do anyway. And like, yeah, I certainly was intrigued by you know his response to it, particularly with how you know how it leans on Kubrick's vision of it yeah. I suppose this is I can say this in in non-spoilers um I suspect that you know there was an early meeting in the pre-production of the film where they thought look this is a film of Dr Sleep and the novel Dr Sleep is a sequel to the novel The Shining is the film Dr. Sleep going to be a sequel to the film The Shining? Because yeah. if it isn't, people expect it to be, or they will go, why isn't it? And it, you know, um, and ultimately it probably makes more sense for them to just kind of stay consistent with the iconography, even though the intentions of the film Dr. Sleep narratively and with characters and things is very different mm -hmm. to the movie. But at the end of the day, you know, um, I mean, they could, they could have made it a sequel to the '90s miniseries, but um, I, they, they, I would I would have preferred it if they'd made remade The Shining, and then made Doctor yeah. Sleep. It's funny actually. <laughs> I was what? thinking actually, particularly this time when I was watching the kind of director's cut, is that you know, and again, particularly after watching Midnight Mass, so I'm hoping that 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 Ian will agree with me feels very Stephen King. There's so much about that, kind of the DNA mm. of that feels mm. very, very Stephen King, that I was kind of watching Dr. Sleep this time going, you know, I would have quite happily have watched, you know, a, a you know, a television series that was The Shining and then Dr. Sleep. And that, mm. yeah, 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 it yeah. had, you know, the kind of scope for, you know, kind of drawing out some of those, those you know, because it's got such a, that's the other thing, it's got such a massive cast. Um, and even though the runtime is long, that some of those characters and the way that the relationships develop, I think particularly kind of like the connection between uh, um, Dan, as he is when he's, mm. he's older, um, and Abba kind of gets a bit, 
you know kind of dipped over it just sort of it seems to be sort of all taken for granted and I would love to have seen again non-spoilers because it's earlier in the film I'd love to have seen a bit more time or spent a bit more time with Dan in as the orderly yeah, you know, yeah. In, the, in the hospital because I thought that's actually a really interesting kind of space to spend time with him and sort of you know but also uh, that that sequence is why the film is called Doctor Sleep. He's yeah, only yeah. Doctor Sleep when he's working in the hospice, yeah, yeah. helping mm. people go to sleep. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, just let's go into spoilers in, in, in a second because we've got half an hour. But I'll just say um, my non-spoiler recommendation would be much more wholehearted than, than, than either Ian or Kirsty's. I think it does stand alone. Or I suspect it would. I can't say that it does because obviously I've seen The Shining. <laughs> Um, but I suspect it would stand alone. It's a nice piece of storytelling. I thought it was a really entertaining movie. Yes, it's really incongruous with The Shining, but at the same yeah. time, I'm kind of glad that they did kind of go back to those those set designs and, and, and certain of those elements because it was just good to see them again. But on its own terms, as a story about... Basically, it was, it's been described by others as basically a superhero film. Hmm. Um and to me, it was, the, it was Super Eight, wasn't it? Um, not Super Eight, um, Sense Eight. It was a lot like that. I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was. Oh, there were spooky psychics everywhere. Or oh, it was the Chrysalids by John Wyndham, if you want to go that far back. I yeah, mean, yeah. It was. It was here were some psychics, and they occasionally meet up. And yeah. there were some baddie psychics who eat you if you're yeah. a psychic. And um, and 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 that's all fine. And what it is is is. Nothing, nothing like the tone of The Shining. Yeah, no, like, fair, fair enough. But, um, so, I, so ultimately, I think... a stupid thing to try and do. <laughs> I, would say. Um, I don't know. But I think the appeal of those stories is they're basically stories of, they're about bullies and they're about people who uh, use their powers to fight back against bullies. And um, I think maybe I'm getting more simple-minded as I get older, but a lot of the movies that I enjoy could be described as thus. I mean, I think revenge movies, that's always what it's about. Yeah. And I, I think uh, movies tell us that the bully will always lose, whereas real life shows us that the bully will always win. <laughs> um, I think if you look at the world of politics and things, there's <laughs> lots of people who are using unfair advantages that they have, whether monetarily or whatever, and mm. getting away with uh, with abusing their, their power and their abilities, and there's nobody to put them back in their box. These kind of superhero-type narratives... So if you talk about Boris us... Johnson or Stephen King, but... Uh... <laughs> Well, well, I'll just leave that as an open question. But, um, you know, and, and these stories show us people coming along to put those villains back in their boxes. That's the appeal of them. And I think as on that level, it was satisfying because I thought the bullies were good and interesting and, and I liked the heroes and cared about them. Um, yeah. no, I'd, I'd, I'd still say to everybody, go and watch it because there's lots of good stuff in it. I'd, I'd probably say... If you haven't seen The Shining, then I go and watch The Shining and then don't watch this. So if you really just want to watch this and it's more your kind of thing and you haven't seen The Shining, then you probably enjoy it a lot more if you haven't seen The Shining because it constantly makes you go, ah, it's just, there was just something, <laughs> there was just, some, it was like, there was just something a bit, I don't know, like, have you seen Ready Player One? There was, there was yeah, moments like that. Yeah, yeah. Ready Player One when they go to the 
overlooking that and I was like oh this is sacrilege and there's a slight moment of that there's I kept yeah. getting those sort of moments like this is not the shining by Kubrick it's yeah. totally different yeah. you're just you're just doing a jive bunny mega mix of his bloody <laughs> you know yeah, I mean, to, uh, you, to do a really up-to-date yeah. reference there but, uh, okay so we are definitely in in spoiler section now aren't yeah we? so let's let's go for it Kirsty, what, were you, what were you going to say Sorry, which one of us? Hey, Kirsty. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Henry Thomas. Yes. Henry Thomas. Playing Jack Nicholson. Yes. God bless him. I mean, I, I, one of the things I've, again, kind of come to, I mean, okay, blind manner aside, really appreciate about uh, Mike Flanagan's work is Henry Thomas. Um, right. Just because, um, you know, obviously, Elliot, obviously, but, yes. you know, kind of his... his um, I want to say range because I'm not sure that's the right word, but he he just seems like such a dependable kind of presence in a lot of Mike Flanagan stuff. Bly Manor, not notwithstanding, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> that you know, kind of, and I've I've really kind of enjoyed, and I I I think I'm on the lead up to um, watching Doctor Sleep. I think I was aware that he was in it, but I'd forgotten by the time I'd, I'd seen it, and I. I was I found myself being really confused by him as as Jack Nicholson as um as, as oh, Jack it? Torrance. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it was I, just it was, I was I was going, is he supposed to be Jack Torrance or is he yeah, supposed to be the yeah, barman? It was just it was uncanny. Hmm. <laughs> it just it just seemed to be Jack Nicholson in that movie. And I was like and like there was part of me just to begin with, I was like, what is this? Is this is this CGI? Is this, you know, kind of digital resurrection? What, a, what? and then I realized that it was him. And I was just I was I was just like, oh my god, you know. Um that well, was a moment of kind of pleasure that to I just dis- I disagree. I, I I thought I was like, oh my god, they actually tried to show Jack Nicholson and it just did not work for me. No. <laughs> it just didn't. Well, it just didn't. The, the might I'd have been I don't know they should, they should have spent loads of money on CGI. I or, I, I feel like um, if they had done the CGI thing, we would be complaining just as much if not more. And, and I also think yeah yeah right. Yeah, I, but... I put my cards on the table. I've only seen The Shining twice in my life, yeah. um, and it's in many ways it's kind of a distant memory for me, which is what it also is for Danny in the movie. Yeah, it's something that haunts him. And therefore, I was quite happy to look at um, Henry Thomas and Alex Esso and the chap whose name I can't remember who plays um, Scatman Crothers his character and go, oh, yeah, that's them. Because th- th- they just seemed to be them. I was happy to go with that. Mm. I knew it wasn't them. I knew it wasn't those actors, but I was happy that they were there. I mean, Halloran um, had exactly the right vibe, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um and didn't seem to be doing an, an impression of Scatman Crothers at all, but just no. was it? Um, no, no, I, mean, I know, I know what you're saying. In that they they couldn't have just CGI'd everybody. That would have looked yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. This is another example of why they shouldn't have made the film. <laughs> I, I, I think the whole problem is that it was a. I just think from its inception, it was a sequel to something that doesn't exist. Like the the, you know the. Uh, the, the Mike Flanagan version of Sh- The Shining doesn't exist. Mm. So so it was a sequel to something that doesn't exist. Yeah. So he should have made The Bloody Shining and then made this and it would have been a brilliant bloody series or a bloody, you know, or it would have been a brilliant 
brilliant and bold, you know, it would have pissed off the cubic purists, but then it would have been like, no, I'm not using the iconography. I'm not using that. It's it's not a sequel to the cubic shining. It's mm. an adaptation of King's two books. Yeah. And that would have been uh that would have been brilliant. This this is like a weird mixture of you know, it it, it just it was an impossible task they set themselves in a way. Yeah. No, I mean, I have to say, I do agree with you on that front. I do, like I said, I would have happily watched a television series of, of both both books. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, and but in terms of authorship, it is, it's it's such an odd beast, isn't it? Because you know, kind of Flanagan has become distinctive and in, in, in on a, of his own right um, for doing particular things. Kubrick, you know, then this particular vision is distinctive, and he's also, you know, he's bringing that on. And also, he's managing to somehow satisfy Stephen King and all of this as well. So, you know, kind of. <laughs> I think the fact he's satisfied Stephen King is the biggest warning. You know, is the biggest warning sign ever because Stephen King seems to have, you know, God bless him because he's written some amazing things. But he seems to have particularly bad takes when it comes to. I mean, I don't know. I find his I find his novels so over overwritten and long. And I think that's why they make good films because they get to the essence of them and they cut out all the flab that he puts in, and uh, and you know, and they get to the core of his idea, which is you know often genius. But when you've got him involved, going, oh, I'm quite pleased with this. That generally means this is going to be a bit shit. <laughs> and uh, you know, he hated he hated one of the best filmmakers ever making The Shining, and mm. that's just bad taste. You should have just gone. It might, it's not my book, but it's a fucking amazing film. Um, I mean, he always, you know, he always said, you know, like Kubrick's version ends in ends in ice, and my version ends in fire. And uh, you know, and it's like the, you know, burning burning the hotel down is such a bloody boring thing to do compared to doing something more psychological and interesting. Um, mm. But you know, but, but this now we're in the spoilers territory. This this the ending of this Doctor Sleep is the ending of the Shining the novel. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's almost like they've done half of what they could maybe have done if they just made just gone to town and made the Shining. Yeah. And um, and, think, and then and then you know and then made Doctor Sleep if they wanted to. I think the thing that pleased King was that they basically went back and. Uh, restored the bits of The Shining that Kubrick had excised, including the ending um, mm -hmm. and, and the themes of alcoholism and, and stuff like that, and kind of got it all in there. Um, so that in a way he feels like his movie has now been, uh, his book has now been faithfully made. I mean, I think the idea is really um, th that I got from what I read was that he would have been happy with the film The Shining if it had, had those elements still in it because he does recognise that, you know, the art uh, that went into the, the making of that movie and, and, and the performances and everything. Mm. But um, but he, he just felt so hurt by the fact that these kind of key elements had been removed from it that he couldn't see past that. And now that they've been put back in the movie of Doctor Sleep. He's able to look at the film of The Shining and actually go, yeah, actually, that's pretty good. But prior to this point, he was too uh, insulted or, or too wounded by what mm. happened to, to be able to see that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I mean, I mean, 
And the, the other thing, though, there were massive problems with the film as well, I would argue. Like, Go on. okay, let's, t- let's take the, um, the Travelling Wilbury fucking... <laughs> I, I would, I'd say they reminded me of Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, but I fucking love that film. And I don't really want to soil it with this bunch of... Th- are these the least scary vampires ever? Yeah. I mean, I said to you, I said to you before, uh, you know, it was like a sequel to the fucking Lost Boys, but that's an insult to the Lost Boys in a way. These, I mean, that, that awful, awful villain in the hat. Well, the, yeah, that was going to be my first question. Uh, <laughs> you're not the first person who's said that the uh, that character was awful. We're talking about Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat. Yeah. I thought she was great. Well, she's a brilliant actress. I love her in, I love her in June of other things, but I did not like her character. Right, and, okay. and and I also they were right. A drunk and a kid managed to take them all down. These fucking immortals yeah. in about in about five seconds flat. Well, the thing no, is, there was, there was barely any jeopardy. Yeah, there was yeah. it, it, the, the whole thing was just oh, all you need is a couple of guns and bang, they're all fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, and it, well, stupid. it was just bad plotting. It's a three-hour fucking film, three-hour uh, film, and and all the bad guys get taken out like. You know, you just click your fingers and they're all gone. That's a really good scene, though. I mean... Uh, it's a good scene if they'd taken one of them out and then maybe like, oh, my God, we, we did it. Oh, my God, it's all gone wrong now. Let's run away. But they did it and it fucking worked and succeeded and everyone died. Well, yeah. They all died. I mean, yes, I think, yes, I think Mr. the problem... What's his name from The Walking Dead had to... Had to uh, Fear the Walking Dead had to blow his head off. Yes, there was... But that, was that, pro- that to there me, was would have been good... And also a reason why lots of them were still alive. Like, you know, that whole you come at the king, you best not miss. They needed to miss a few times. No, I understand. It was too easy, um, but it was also very satisfying because it was that thing of getting back at the bullies. I thought that was great. What I did reflect afterwards was that uh, the movie should really have set out some kind of rules about these immortal people how easy are they to kill how do you kill them Mm. what's the deal because it basically comes across that they are essentially immortal because of what they do however they are it then they're also incredibly mortal because any slight injury makes them dissolve Um, there were were vampires who didn't sign didn't read the terms and conditions very well did they so what kills you everything that kills normal people what what? Except they <laughs> they can walk in the daylight. So um, and they're not referred oh, yeah. to as vampires. Um, no, no. Like, like, you know, so of Rose the Hat. Go on, Kirsty. So I, I mean, I, okay. Before I, I I get into the defense bit, I absolutely kind of you know see the issue with <laughs> the kind of you know sort of nomad kind of representation of, you know, um, of, of... It was having a subtle bigger pagan, if you ask me. You know, um, as... Lady stuff. Yeah, as part of, you know, the kind of, you know, again, kind of issues around the kind of carnivalesque, isn't it? And the kind of the outsider and all that. And I get, yeah, you get that. And that's problematic. Um, one of the reasons why I like Rosa Hat as, as uh, an antagonist, mm-hmm. although clearly not a well-drawn one, um, is that you know as a kind of female um, antagonist in horror, she's 
you know, kind of re relatively rare in that she isn't particularly sexualized and her her kind of monstrosity isn't located in, you know, kind of Barbara Creed's idea of, you know, kind of her femininity, particularly her, you know, her maternal qualities or anything. Mm. She, the fact that she's female is, you know, kind of not intrinsic to her monstrosity. Um, I absolutely get what Ian was saying in terms of the, you know, the way in which those characters kind of come to an end and the way in which she comes to an end is really unsatisfying and doesn't kind of, you know, kind of feed into the idea of them being, you know, as, as monstrous as they possibly could be. But I, I quite enjoyed her as a sort of distinctive female villain. Um, and again, this is part of the reason why, why I think that actually, you know, a television series would have done a better job mm. of kind of characterising those people, building the mythology around them and making her into a more well-drawn um, and formidable um, kind of bad guy, if you like. Um, did, you, did that feel very 90s to you? It felt like the cast of the craft had... Yeah, yeah. Around. Let's do some, let's get some, you know, let's do some yeah. meditation and do some, oh, it's awful. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and it, that's in the same universe as Kubrick's, Kubrick's Shining. It just isn't, is it? No, no, and I absolutely <laughs> agree, it isn't. But I, I also think on this, this kind of, this time around watching, and maybe I just, because, you know, I tend to watch on the first time, just, I just watch a story and I don't really, you know, kind of think too much about stuff. Um, but sort of seeing how that, you know, in many ways they that they're kind of a bit of an allegory for um, or metaphor for, you know, kind of um, child sexual predators um, yeah. and the way yeah. in which they work together. And particularly the way that with is it Annie, Annie Rattlesnake, whatever she's called, oh, yeah. you know, she, she existed and, and, you know, kind of the, our introduction to them more formally in terms of what they do is sort of through her scene and she's sort of set up as a you know kind of um you know little red riding hood hard candy type character somebody who's you know kind of bringing justice mm -hmm. to to men who are preying on yeah. on children or young you know kind of you know kind of women underage girls mm -hmm. um uh, you know, and how she is just at that, you know, kind of transitory time. She's not, you know, she doesn't, she's not, doesn't have any value to them because she's too old. And so she's able to become one of them. Um, I thought that was kind of quite a kind of, you know, kind of reasonably interesting way of introducing. But, what but they, that, that was one thing that made no sense. It was a, what, so she's, she's, she's an hour. If you can't beat them, join them. Like, oh, I've, I have dedicated my life to hunting down sexual predators but yes, when a bunch amazing. of them come along and offer me a, an extended lifespan do you know what i'm gonna go and kill kids yeah. with but then they kind of i, I think thought she was gonna have something more complex like do yeah. you know what i don't want to kill kids i'm kind of anti-killing kids yeah. i've been established as anti-killing kids what what are you no i'm just a bad guy and then i'm gonna say yeah. kids and kill someone well, who died it's bollocks. To be, <laughs> I know what you're saying there, Ian. But to be fair, she's not established as anti-killing kids. She's a person who who has no qualms with exploiting people who prey on her, but she does yeah. not do anything to stop them, um, uh, or to stop other. I know that, like that guy that we see um, try to um, prey on her. It looks she's like she has been doing the like you say, the hard candy thing. She's yeah. been to catch a predator. To each of those it's individuals. Basically, going, you think you're meeting a young girl. Mm. And haha, uh, -ha, that's my excuse for killing you. So she obviously fucking hates paedophiles. And then she joins a bunch of them. But she, but she <laughs> takes their money as well. Um, well, I suppose. But 
there's, there's so many things that just don't hang together. Really, in like, it's not really explained to her what she's signing up for, is it? And then by the point in time which she's signed up for it, it's too bloody late. Yeah, yeah. You could uh, that the then, where they turn her is. Well, yeah, you, you could have all that, but we needed to see it. Yeah. She, she's she's a pointless character to set up like that because she's she's set up to be a differentiated character. Yeah. yeah. And no, then she is not. She does not have a storyline. She just becomes part of the crowd. Yeah. yeah. And again, with the with the television kind of runtime, she could have been, you know, kind of much more clearly. Yeah. Or just don't or just don't bother with her. That's I mean, fair point. Yeah. Or have her being, you know, if we need the intro to this is what these people do. Have her being the person who says no thanks. I don't like killing kids. Mm-hmm. And then she gets a steam eaten or any. I mean, just there's just so many. The, the more I think about this film, the more the flaws just they're legion. They're all over the place, <laughs> and and there'd been a lot, that, and they'd all be a lot less if it wasn't the sequel to The Shining. Like <laughs> it feels, it feels, it feels tonally, it feels a bit cheesy for my taste. But I could buy that if that's its tone. Fine, that's your tone. You've gone for it. But if you've chosen that tone and you're trying to be a sequel to The Fucking Shining, <laughs> which has a different tone, yeah, that's just silly. That's just mm. it's just silly. It's a film that didn't need to be made. I think it's, it's almost the most pointless film since I don't know the Star Wars prequels or something. Didn't <laughs> need to be made. It was just made to make a bit of bloody money, which is fine, I guess. But there were other films to watch, is what I would say. And mm-hmm. and Mike Flanagan's Mike Flanagan's done far better things than than this thing, which might be nice. <laughs> well, well, I really enjoyed re-watching, it anyway. Rewatching his, um, like Gerald's game on Netflix is amazing. Mm. Flanagan and King, have you seen that? No, absolutely brilliant. You guys should watch it. But I've realised in Host and in Gerald's Game, his other short, his other sort of lower budget films, um, he's he's uh. It, Midnight Mass pops up as like a as a book in both films, like as a fictional book. Okay. And uh, and then he's made Midnight Mass. All right, okay. <laughs> but yeah, but Host and Host and Gerald's Game are both are both really good. Pardon? He didn't do Host. Yeah, he did. Host. No, sorry, not Host. Um, Hush. Hush. Okay. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I'm saying. I was host. a bit Hush. confused there as well. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. The, although there are a lot of films called Host or The Host. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of films called Hush as well, as you'll find when you're trying to ac- almost accidentally buy loads of shit films when you're when you're trying to find it on uh and it's, they're all on Netflix. Well, Hush and Joe Gerald's game is brilliant. I mean, that is that is a pure Stephen King setup. Mm-hmm. If you uh have a woman who's well, she she's handcuffed to a bed by Gerald, her husband. Yes. Part of a sex game, and then he has a massive heart attack, like in the first five minutes. And, right. and they're in a cabin in the woods. And uh, but it's it's absolutely brilliant. Clarity and shoes. It is hilarious. <laughs> it really is. No, I mean the first antagonist. Lots of it's in her head, and it's how much of it is in her head, and how much of it is. Shut up! Shut up! No, no, but I'm just saying I'm not spoiling it, and then. <laughs> Well, you are now, and I'm going to be questioning everything now. Okay, well, no, no. Anyway, <laughs> go and watch Gerald's Game because it's much better Union of Stephen King and Mike Flanagan. Okay. Right. Than, than I would argue Doctor Sleep is. Okay. 
Well, that's we're coming to the end of our time now, so that's I think I think that's a comprehensive verdict on the film from Ian. Um, my <laughs> verdict is still I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, when 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 they the, the, they recreated the camera swoop over the lake on the way to the overlook, I was delighted that I couldn't see the the reflection of the helicopter. Um, and, and and therefore it pleased me entirely on every level. Um, Kirsty, is there anything you'd like <laughs> I to I missed the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean we haven't really talked about you McGregor, have we? I'm not I'm not sure this is his role, really. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm starting to wonder if you McGregor's yeah. actually really, really boring. Yeah. Like like oh. I haven't liked anything he's done. Since <laughs> in, in his early career that I absolutely adored. Um and yeah. He had a bit of energy. Yeah, and I I, I don't know. I yeah, this this film has Obi-Wan Kenobi destroyed him. And I also again, whilst we're in spoiler territory, I and again I don't know the ending of, of Doc Suit because I've not read the book, but I just kind of felt like Danny, little Danny deserved better. Well, the yeah, I've not read Doctor Sleep, but oh, I did read. A, but but all I know is this ending mm. is apart from Danny. Danny doesn't die as a little boy. Danny and his mum escape. Yeah, but at the end of The Shining, the the boiler, the the ploy with the boiler mm. blows up, and Jackie Jack um, Jack Torrance is killed inside. Yeah. When the whole place explodes and and uh, you know, like it, like I said, it ends in fire and Kubrick ends in ice. Yeah. But the book yeah. ends with the book ends like like Doctor Sleep ends. Yeah. But in the Doctor's the, the synopsis of Doctor Sleep, I haven't read it, sounds quite prosaic, <laughs> but a lot of it does sound like it's uh, Doctor Sleep doing his rounds, helping people to die. Yeah. In, uh, which in, is in the in the hospice, which is just literally a five minute part of his part of the movie. Well, it's maybe, maybe half an hour in the director's court. I I thought it was a bit more than that. And so, uh, and a couple of those scenes with between him and the elderly patients were really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and I did like Ewan McGregor in the movie. I I, I thought that. The, the, there was a subtle heartfulness to what he did. I enjoyed the the scenes at the AA um, with Bruce Greenwood and all that. I, I thought there was a very nice underplayed intimacy between all, all of the the characters, and it, and it felt kind of real and gentle to me. Which remind, I mean, I didn't think it was as good, but it reminded me of uh, Flanagan's other stuff. Um, that seems to be what what he's really good at, and I I, I liked all that. Um, yeah, no, he's really good at character. I mean, yeah, I did, I did like the setup of Doctor Sleep. I liked, I liked the whole. You know, this is Danny. He's a troubled. And there's another thing, like the the woman and child that we see at the beginning with the vomit on the bed. Yeah, it's all very grim. And then later on, they're a sort of ghost. But is there any? Another yet another loose end. Did did that woman die with her child? Well, I assume they did because uh, is we, it? We yeah, but it's, like... it's just of all the things that are going on, all the plates he's juggling. He's not, mm. he's 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 not he's not landing so many things for me. And then you've got, then you've got an you know, nineties Aerosmith video um, as the main baddies 
<laughs> and it's just like it's just uh um kirsty <laughs> you, you you were saying that you thought little danny deserved better yeah um so do you think exactly what did you mean by that do you think they I, should have got a better actor or do you think the character no, needed to be developed in a stronger way no just more about the ending his ending oh, oh okay just felt like you know Hey, what a life, eh? What a life. <laughs> well, uh, I my mind's gone blank. I can't remember what happens at the end. Does well, he, 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 no, he, he dies in sacrifice. I didn't actually mind the ending. You know, yeah, you know, well, I mean, obviously, because oh, yeah, of course he does. Really he does. Yeah, but he dies, and then, uh, and then I, I didn't mind lots of the little bits, and I quite like the ending if all the stuff yeah, in between had been good. I do appreciate that, you know, for horror. That it works as an ending. He'd had a he'd had a rough life, hadn't he? Well, I just I just feel for the you know kind of after what seems to be what, forty years for mm. the hotel still to fucking get him, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will I will say actually for about ten minutes when they first go into the overlook, I was like, oh, this is good. This they're doing this well. Um, and then there was a bit where. They kind of went, and here's the bit with the blood coming down the corridor. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then they cut to Twat in the hat. And she went, but, hmm. like, and it's like she was from a different film. Yeah. Well, uh, that, that, not from The Shining. That scene just stood <laughs> out to me as like, why is that even there? That scene is just there because somebody thought you have to have the, the, hotel, the, the, the elevator full of blood, even though that wasn't in the original book. And 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 but then he that's got... what I kind of recognised te- in sexuality. It's, yeah. just, it's mm. you know the the film so consistently hooks up its own kind of you know kind of experience with with The Shining, so yeah. that you are as a spectator unable to forget it... that you're watching this film. Yeah, yeah. I just I just think that reinforces its hollowness, the hollowness of the whole enterprise. And well, and if they, and I yeah. think the studio. If they just had the balls to go, do you know what? People are going to go, I can't believe you're remaking The Shining. But if they just fucking remade The Shining, they would have, They it might not have been for everybody, but they would have had The Shining done like this and then a sequel that fucking fitted it. And they would have had two massive films that a whole generation probably would have loved. And a whole bunch of old people who really liked The Shining would have gone, oh, this is bollocks. But millions of millions of people would have watched those two films and Stephen King would have been happy. Mm-hmm. And they could have just adapted, adapted the two books, and it would they, and it would have made Doctor Sleep better in its on its own terms than being a sort of half rice, half chips mix of, you know, you know, Ian, I mix, love half try, rice, try, half chips. I'd, um, I'd say it's tried to, I say it's tried to please, to it's tried to serve two masters, and it has completely failed to serve either. Well, I, I, the only people who really like it will be people. That haven't seen The Shining, and me, and me. Well, <laughs> but are you? Do you, do you love it though? No, or do you I don't, just think I, it was all right? Because I, I think it was all right. It. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I I, 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 I didn't have any problem with it apart from uh, maybe they should have explained what the vampires' powers were and how you kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, I, a, I completely went along for the right bullet. It. A bullet. But, well, yeah, apparently. Um, but I even like that because I just thought. What I liked about the villains was that they thought they were powerful and unstoppable, and they weren't. 
Mm-hmm. That's what uh, yeah, that's, I just that's that's the that's bad writing though. That's well, uh, that's you, that's like I mean, there's that bit at the end where they go, "Do you think she was right? Do you think there are? Do you think there are others like that?" And he should have gone. Well, did you show how easy they were to kill? <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah, 13 yeah. years old, and, and I'm a drunk. We had them all. <laughs> but so. um, well, just to wrap up, then I will say that I, I know what both of you are saying, Ian. I think your theory that they should have just remade The Shining is less plausible to me than Kirsty's suggestion that it should have been a big Netflix series with both stories in it. That, well, maybe I that's think, what they should have done. Yeah, I think I people think, wouldn't be comparing like with like if yeah, they yeah. done Shining, The Shining Cycle or something yeah. and yeah. just done both books. Yeah. So Then they could have made it tonally, tonally, you know, work tonally. Yes, I think that all that's that a reasonable the, all that, all that, All that bollocks with the with the boxes in his head and the bad CGI in his head. And uh, <laughs> I, I find that stuff over that over explaining stuff. I hate it. It's, it's the reason I walked out of inception. You know, it's, you know, you, there are still up seven levels of dreaming. So like, no, the man is fucking mad in there. It's a human brain. <laughs> mentalizing stuff. I just hated it. And that's, okay. in, that's in Stephen King's vision. And right. that's the sort of stuff Kubrick got bit of as well well <laughs> ian i think that might be the last word that we'll have okay. on doctor sleep then thank you very much that i mean you know your feelings are well articulated as always <laughs> and thank you i've Coast started Coast. hating this film more as i've talked the more i talk about it yes i, I started probably... hating it more luckily i didn't hate it to start with so no. i only hate it four percent um <laughs> Uh, I'll just say to you both, thank you very much, though, for this. And uh, and just Merry Christmas to you both and to your families. Uh, listener, Merry Christmas to you too. And let us all think about our friend Howard, who's not here. Um, but he'll be back on the podcast at some point. Merry Christmas. Uh, um, Santa going to bring him a broadband connection. <laughs> that would be wonderful. That would be it's wonderful. It's chip in. <laughs> um, uh, and you know what? I thought I'd, I'd end on a little bit of happy news. Um, I was scrolling through my five the other day um, and discovered that Hannibal season one is on there for free. And as someone who's just cancelled their Amazon Prime, I was delighted. It is only <laughs> season one, but, you know, any free Hannibal is is not to be sniffed at. Well, no. I've still got season three to look forward to. So. Oh, oh, you certainly have. I can so, say that now. I've seen it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make a point. Hope for the future. This time, not me. It was Dan. Just <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, th- I, I almost went a whole episode. Almost went a whole episode, but no, you spoiled it right at the end, Dan. <laughs> oh, sorry. But it just goes sure. to show you've indoctrinated me, Kirsty. So. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Thank you very yeah. much for spending Happy this New time. Year. Well, if I don't speak to you before then. Yes. Happy New Year to you too, sir. And and Kirsty, same to you and to the listeners. Um, yes, it's going to be an interesting few days. And wow, I get to return to human life on the 27th of December. Brilliant. The day after Boxing Day. The timing could not be better. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I know you love shopping, Dan. You can run out and get, go to all the sales. 
Oh, oh my God, yeah, the January sales start on like December 27th now, don't Boxing they? Day sales, aren't they? The, I don't know. I, never, hell. I hate shopping. I don't well, know you do. So, I'm assuming um, you do too. You just don't strike me as a shopper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not a recreational shopper, to no. the truth. But uh, to, to you guys and to everyone who can hear this, I'd just like to say, if you can gather with any family members or loved ones, then uh, then count yourself lucky, because it's just yeah. me and my mum uh, this year. <laughs> and, and to any of you listening who are in the same boat, then I feel for you. All right, my friends, thank you so much. Our listeners will be back in the new year. Um, so keep an eye on our Twitter and our, and our website and now podcast.com. All right. Uh, We love you all very much. Thank you. And good night. Good night. Good night. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Kirsty Warrow, Ian Winterton and T.D. Velasquez. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism. The spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web www.andnowpodcast.com more content and contact details or visit our facebook pages at and now pod or at lee cushing pod follow us on twitter at and now podcast or at lee cushing podcast if you'd like to donate to us please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast and now The podcast stops.